Emmanuel. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About, about 20 years ago, there was a, a heist movie set in London that, that came out called Snatch. And it's, by a, it's about a few small-time criminals in London who kind of get into a big-time issue because there's a diamond, a giant diamond in town. Now, it's a, the kind of movie you can't show clips on Sunday morning. Um, there's no, like, 30-second scene that's not objectionable in some, some form or fashion. But it starts off um, in Antwerp with these two, these two people who look like Hasidic Jews, and they're walking into a diamond repository in Antwerp, and they're having this conversation about, about Hebrew and about um, how Christians get Hebrew wrong, and all like all these foolish Christians. And it hinges on this verse from Isaiah 7. And um, what in this, this new translation has is young woman is often translated as, as virgin. Um, virgin or young woman, the Hebrew word is ha'almaah. Um, and it is in, in the movie, it says like, oh, look at these incredulous Christians. They don't even understand Hebrew, they made this whole religion over this mistranslation of a virgin. The reality is that in the ancient world, if you were um, a young woman who was not a virgin, you would be used, they would call you a different word than this. Um, there's a different term involved, but it's it, it highlighted in this like incredibly secular movie. Um, the influence of, of this word, the influence of how the Virgin Mary is understood culturally as well, as well as in faith. And so it gets to, to the issue of what is, what is the deal with the Virgin Mary? What is going on here? It seems a little bizarre. My friends, we are continuing our series on looking at the Apostles' Creed, the historic doctrinal statement of faith, looking back at how the creed encapsulates Scripture and offers it to us in a way that shows us what has been revealed by God about who God is, how the world is, why we are in need, how Jesus saves us, and what we should do about it. And two weeks ago, we talked about the the clause, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and how the Sonship of Christ can change us today. And today's message is on who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That is the title of the sermon um, on, on Thursday when we're making the bulletin. Um, Katie, one of the assistants at the office, was like, so do you have a shorter title? And I said, no, <laughs> that's it. We gotta, we gotta lower the font, we gotta fit that in there. <laughs> that's the whole title. Now, one of the things that I think in talking about Mary, we, we should often, often say is that one of the things that Protestants often get wrong about um, Catholic belief concerns what's called the Immaculate Conception. And it, it often happens that, that uh, Protestants are around enough Catholics like, oh, the Immaculate Conception, um, not the Immaculate Reception, Franco Harris's amazing catch in the 1972 playoffs. Um, very different. <laughs> the Immaculate Conception um, has, has nothing to do actually with Jesus. It's about how Mary was immaculately conceived. And that's why it's celebrated on December 8th. The, the conception of Jesus is celebrated at what's called the Annunciation of Mary, March 25th, which happens to be nine months before Christmas. Imagine that. Um, so that's, so I just wanted to just to clarify that because I've run into that oftentimes. Um, but when we're talking about this, this aspect of the creed who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, we also need to just come out, 
up front and say it, that the Holy Spirit doesn't have any sperm. Like, that's not what is going on there. It's really important to make sure we, we clarify that the conception of Jesus in the virgin birth is not the assumption that Mary had some sort of relations with a kind of spirit um, in, in that period. Jesus doesn't have a genetic father that, has, uh, that is the spirit. And if you did like a 23andMe of Jesus, there wouldn't be like some, some weird spirit DNA going on in there. It also wouldn't have any of Joseph's DNA. Now, genetics and blood relations, they weren't that important in the Bible. It's like we often read it back onto it. But like the reason why at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, if you ever open up the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, like, all right, here, I'm ready to meet Jesus. You have this, like the most boring genealogy imaginable. Um, And that's like, we're we're great at selling the faith. Here we go. A lot of old names. Um, But it's a genealogy. In Matthew, it's a genealogy of Joseph, who you know, in our, in our doctrinal belief, the virgin birth, Joseph has no blood relation to Jesus. But the issue is not the blood, it's the name. Like this is what was vital and what was important, especially in the ancient world. It wasn't that you passed down your blood to your child, you passed down your name to your child. It's why, you know, like in, if you ever do any looking at Roman history, most of the Roman emperors were adopted. Um, they would have like an emperor would have a son and be like, you're not going to do anything good. And so they would adopt a, like a cousin who was like really, um, was, looked like he could handle it. Sometimes they would adopt a son that was older than them. Um, but the importance was passing on the name. It wasn't the blood. Now, the genetic connection is not the essential one. It's the covenantal connection. It's the covenantal connection going on. And what, when we, we look at this, and we look at this moment, it's really important to understand that, that there's no human, there's no man that cooperates with the Spirit in this. It's all God offered through Mary. Now, one of the ways that the, the virgin birth has been discounted or diminished in Christian history is because it has unlikely to have occurred. It's unlikely to happen. It doesn't, doesn't usually happen every day. This is in the 18th century, there was this big Scottish philosopher named David Hume, and he wrote a book against miracles. And one of the central miracles he wrote against was the virgin birth, that it's unlikely to happen. It has never been happened before. I've never seen it before. Therefore, it couldn't exist. This is an argument that, that people make. Because to prove something empirically is you have to repeat it. You have to repeat it multiple times and observe that. And one of, but one of the claims of the virgin birth is that it's an unrepeatable event. This encounter between the Holy Spirit and humanity, the conception by the Holy Spirit of the Son of God in human form, the incarnation of God, the enfleshedness of God. It can only happen once. This isn't Jesus shape-shifting into human form like you read of ancient Greek mythology or other, other mythologies of the gods taking on human form and like messing around and then moving back. Something different is going on. The Son of God, the Logos of God, out of which all things were created, has no physical shape outside of this amazing moment. And the quest to discover by what natural capacity Mary could conceive a child by the third person of the Trinity is impossible. Even if we had a time machine and we could go back in time and go back to the moment of the Annunciation, the moment when the angel Gabriel came to talk to Mary, if we could be there, if we could have like an x-ray machine, like an amazingly silent MRI machine or an ultrasound machine and just see everything that was going on in, in Mary's body right when the zygote of Jesus appears, we would not be able to answer the question 
of how the Holy Spirit conceives Jesus. That's why it's, it's an article of faith that has been revealed to us, not because we don't have an answer, but because God has offered the answer to us, not by empiricism, not by reason, only by God through the scriptures to show us the reality of who Jesus is for us. That Jesus is not a son who was adopted, but conceived from the beginning by the Holy Spirit and then born of this virgin, Mary, this young woman. In opposition to folks like like Hume, some Christians have turned the virgin birth into a kind of litmus test to see if you are really a true Christian who believes in like supernatural things. Do you believe in, in the virgin birth? Okay, that's going to tell me a lot about who you are and what your faith is. This is honestly most often where I see it. It's in, in Christian circles where they're like, oh, do they believe in the virgin birth? It's this gotcha moment, this test moment. I see it in, in, in videos and articles shared about how the Methodist church doesn't believe in the virgin birth anymore. This is a disprovable lie or doctrinal statement in the church in the articles of religion, which cannot be changed by any, anything. It says that the son who is the word of the father, the very and eternal God of one substance with the father, took man's nature in the womb of the blessed virgin. We can't edit those words. But the, the virgin birth becomes then this shibboleth that is used, like in the book of Judges. I don't know, it's, it's not the most of interesting of books of the Bible, but there's this passage in Judges where they're on the, the River Jordan and um, the tribe is in war with the Ephraimites who are on the other side and they have to figure out, but they all look alike because they're all from the same tribe. And so everybody looks the same. And how do you tell the difference when they cross this bridge over the river? So they have them say the word shibboleth. And in, um, in some different accents, you don't say shibboleth, you say sibboleth. So um, just that little difference, they're able to tell the difference of who is from this side of the river and who is from that side of the river. Um, and it's, it's this, this pattern that's used, okay, who's in the in-group and who is in the out-group. The virgin birth, though, is much more than a litmus test or a shibboleth. I mean, I honestly don't know any pastors who deny it. I was in a group chat on my birthday talking about how awesome the virgin birth was. Um, that's what I do with pastor colleagues. Um, and, and, you know, and I think there's, there's 30,000 Methodist pastor churches in, in the U.S. I'm sure you can find someone who denies it. I don't, I don't know them. But even still, people who don't believe in the virgin birth also don't believe in the resurrection. That's, like, that's where my issue comes in. It's like if we're going to, to cut the line there, and ultimately, if for them, in a crass way, faith Sometimes, if, you, if you're going to dismiss these things and dismiss these other things, it's like faith can be a, a social club. It's nice to get people together. It's nice to do nice things and be kind to others. But if Jesus is not the Son of God, why are we here? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we all have better things we can do with our time. That's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if he did then everything we should do is different. And then if you believe in the resurrection, if you believe in the Easter miracle, what is really is keeping you from believing in the virgin birth? The internal logic of empiricism already denies the possibility of this event, but the internal logic of empiricism denies a lot of human relations. It denies you know, the love between a, um, a spouses. It denies those special, incredible moments between a mother and a child. 
Now, I've shared a little bit about why arguments against the virgin birth don't hold water, but I want to say as well why it's important we should believe, what it offers us, why we should believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, why this is more than a litmus test. Because if Jesus really is God, if Jesus really is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, and he really takes on human form in the incarnation, this cannot occur by normal means. God doesn't enter the world by fiat, by just saying, yes, this is so. In fact, God enters the world, the creator of everything, enters the world as a vulnerable mass of needs. That's what a child, a baby is, an infant is. This is the miracle of Christmas. No one is needier, not even a teenager, than a newborn baby. And to make this possible is a miracle. God becoming human is a miracle. It is a cracking of the fabric of the natural world through which God enters. And to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, is to make a claim about who God is. And to make a claim laid out in Isaiah 7 that God is for us in Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel doesn't highlight Mary's virginity, but her belief. She is chosen because she says yes to God. She is who she is, a virgin betrothed to Joseph, but it is not by works that she is chosen, but by faith. God entered the world of the flesh, this world of sin, this world in need, in the only way that would allow us to be saved from our sins. God entered into the world in the fullness of human freedom and in the limitations of human freedom. It is the freedom of the gracious God. The flesh, what is human, becomes free to be assumed into that unity with the Son of God only through the Holy Spirit, not through our own capacity. We cannot earn it on our own. We cannot unite with God on our own. We cannot be healed from sin. We need grace to enter the world in a particular way, at a particular time with a particular person. And ultimately, to claim that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is to claim that Jesus actually has the power to save us, that Jesus is worthy of worship, and that Jesus is not like just another wise teacher. And encountering Jesus Christ, whether on the mountaintop or Sunday morning or in the dark night of the soul, encountering Jesus Christ is going to change your life. And the question always comes back to, do you want to change your life? Are you satisfied with where you are, with the way things are? Are you satisfied with your needs and expectations and easygoing natures of the usual thing? Are you ready to respond to that same Holy Spirit who miraculously conceived Jesus with Mary? That same Spirit is with us today, and that Spirit is with you this day. One of the most powerful things about Mary bearing Christ is that it shows us that we humans— We non-divine beings can bear Jesus in this world. Even with our limitations, God saw us as worthy of salvation. God saw our flesh as capable of bearing Jesus. To claim, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, is a radical claim about the possible transformation of each of our lives. Each of our lives. That we can become complete in Christ. Now, today is Reformation Sunday for many Protestants around the world in honor of Martin Luther tomorrow on 
October 31st, hammering the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg Church door. Martin Luther, uh, oftentimes the, you know, the enemy of Catholics, but he had a high view of Mary. He said, Mary, the most blessed virgin, did not conceive a mere ordinary human being, but a human being who is truly the son of the most high, as the angel testifies. Mary was beloved by God, not because of any great physical attributes or abilities, but because she believed. She was chosen by God and she said, yes, the angel did not come at a convenient time to a convenient person. The paragon of human perfection is not a great warrior or a king or politician or entrepreneur or influencer, but a young woman, a virgin from a small backwater town. Podunk might be a good translation. (laughs) But she received a call from the Lord and she said, yes. And my brothers and sisters, we can all hope and strive to be like Mary, to have the faith and courage to say a radical yes to God that changes everything in our life and everything in the world. The all-powerful God who created heaven and earth did not see our weakness as something to be avoided, but instead became weak and human like us because we are worth it, because you are worth it. You are worthy of it. And so God is worthy of praise. That is why we sing in praise to God. We thank God for this miracle, the conception of Jesus. We thank God for the miracle of the virgin birth that shows us that even I, even you are loved, are forgiven and offered new life in a way to say yes to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the midst of so much confusion in this world, You offer us hope. You offer us hope in yourself and in your son, Jesus Christ, whose entry into the world through Mary saves us and gives us life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.